0: And uh, so this is going to be a little different, maybe not a little different, uh, but at least for me it is, because it is really hard to teach John, because it's so, it's so rich, it's so deep. It's not like um, something that you can just kind of... <laughs> his flashlight turned on, and it was just randomly shining through his pants. Um. <laughs> um. I see the light, <laughs> the light of the world. Um, what was I even saying? Oh, so it's hard to teach through John because it's not, in, in a lot of ways, it's simple, it's, it's simple, but in a lot of ways, it's just really deep, and you just got to stop and go slow. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's very structured. You know, we've got the seven signs, the seven I ams, the, the first half, the second half, you know, clear. But then on the other hand, it's all one big soup of these things that, that John is telling us about God. Um, and it's all sort of bundled up there in the prologue, and then the rest of the book just sort of expands on those first 14 verses. Um, so we're going to talk about the the end of the what we call the book of signs, uh, chapters 11 and 12. And I'm just going to be reading and saying a few things. And I don't know if there's going to be you know, particular things like, yeah, let's just really drive this home for you. Um, But the Holy Spirit's here. He wants to minister the word to us. And so he will. Um, And, and this, I do have some thoughts about this that I think are, are for us. Um, But this is going to be more, uh, less structured, less note-taking friendly, uh, maybe than, uh, than usual. Um, So let me just start reading. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, uh, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. The sister sent to him saying, "Lord, he whom you love is ill and that 's going to be an important uh, detail here in this story that John seems intent on letting us know that Jesus cared deeply for Lazarus and his sisters, this family at Bethany. He had deep love for them. Uh, I should point out also that this, depending on how you count the seven signs, this is the seventh sign. This is the climactic sign uh, that points to the coming of Jesus, uh, Jesus as the Christ. Obviously, it's the most uh, dramatic sign. Someone who was dead came back to life. The blind man who had been born blind, that was pretty cool. (laughs) Because it hadn't been done since the beginning of the world. A man who was born blind received his sight. But now this is even crazier. This Lazarus is coming back from the dead. So this is really the exclamation point on the series of signs. Um, And so it says this in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now we've said about John that sometimes Jesus will say something and he means it in one way. Um, people hear it in a different way. He'll say a word like death or born again or something like that, and it just he means one particular thing, but the people around him hear it in a different way. So in this story, when Jesus is talking about death, he's really talking about there's physical death and then there's death death, like forever death, the second death, okay? And so what he means here, he says this illness does not lead to death. He's talking about this illness does not lead to capital D death, okay? It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, that's interesting. Did did God make Lazarus sick so that he could be glorified? No. Uh, And I think that the story uh, tells us otherwise. Now, this is is a curious verse. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he didn't do a thing. (laughs) What is that? When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. There's something, there's something fishy here. There's something strange going on. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Anyone walks? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Right? They don't understand exactly what he's talking about. So Jesus refers to physical death as falling asleep. And he refers to death death as death. I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly, all right, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him, so that you may believe. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Which was uh, unintentionally uh, prophetic on Thomas's part. He ended up getting martyred, according to uh, church tradition. He did end up dying with Jesus. Um, now, when Jesus came, so here's the thing. Ahead of time, so you can't say that Jesus showed up and then Mary and Martha put on such a show of, of pity and grief that uh, Jesus decided to you know, raise him from the dead. That's not what's happening. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing from the minute he heard Lazarus Lazarus was ill. And he decided, I am not going to go there. I'm going to let him die so that I can work a sign, so that people will be able to believe. And the way he says it is so strange, because it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary, so he didn't go. Now, the first thing that Mary and Martha say to him both, they run out to meet him, and they say, Martha goes first, and she says, if you had been here, he would not have died. Right? They don't quite understand. He has to let Lazarus die in order that they would know who he is, in order that God would be glorified. It's true. It's true. I could have kept him from dying. I did not. And that was on purpose. So then he says in verse 24, Martha, uh, or verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. All right. Though he die physically, yet shall he live. And really, you can translate that: um, "Come to life." Though he die, yet shall he come to life. Everyone who lives and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die for good." That's what that means. And actually in Greek, I don't know why it doesn't translate it, but it says, "die in eternity." If you live and believe in me, you will not die in eternity. you will not die for good. Do you believe this? And she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Mary comes, and uh, in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Um, I'll say something about that in a second. So the Jews said to him, See how he loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved this family. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Of course. What's Jesus trying to say here? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus was, he, he stayed so that it would be, he was dead dead. <laughs> That's why he delayed. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? uh, when Jesus dies and he comes out of the tomb, he leaves his clothes in the tomb. Right? And John points that out. Um, and so some people say that this is a sign that Lazarus has come, has come out. And this is a continuation of his physical life. He's going to have to die physically again. Whereas Jesus came out never to die again. Right? This, is, this is the one difference between the raising of Lazarus and the raising of Jesus. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he was never going to die again. Lazarus still had to, to live on, right, and actually, you know, come to the end of his life, his natural life. Um, Jesus went straight to the Father. He, he rose, and he was never going to die again. In other words, Lazarus was going to need those grave clothes later. Jesus was not, right? So, this story is interesting. Uh, it's a sign, you know, it's a, it's a working of power, but as we've said time and time again, that the, the signs that John includes are not mere demonstrations of the miraculous. So what, is, what are we saying? And this is told in a very particular way. Jesus' love for this family is very clear. His intention to let Lazarus die is very clear. So what are we, do, what are we to make of those two truths? You love, he loved Lazarus, and he let him stay there for two more days on purpose. Jesus, what 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 are all the signs here? They're pointing to Jesus. Okay? The Father loves the Son, but allowed him to die and stay in the tomb. The Father deeply loves the Son, but allowed him on purpose to die, knew he was going to die, and let him stay in the tomb so that people would know who God really is. And this is what happen- is happening with Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus, and so he lets him stay in the tomb so that people could really see who God is. Right? So the way in which Lazarus is raised, and the way in which Jesus approaches it, is very clearly he's trying to say, we're not talking about just avoiding death here. That's not what the resurrection life is about. That's not what I've come to establish. I can can cause you to avoid death, or I can cause you to die and bring you back to life. Which is better? Which speaks more of the glory of God? The other thing that this shows us is that Jesus has also fully participated in, in, in the grief that's common to humans when they lose a loved one. Jesus is fully man. So he's not just coming and sort of playing around with human emotions. Oh, yeah, I can kill you off and raise you back. No, that was not a pleasant thing for Jesus to do, but he did it so that the Father would be glorified. And we also see that there's this difference between mortality and death, forever death. Okay, and forever death is what's awaiting those that don't believe in Jesus. Mortality its what's common to, to every man. Okay? We will die, but if you believe in Jesus, that's not, that's not nearly the end. That has no bearing on, on your eternity. So, uh, when he says the big I am statement here, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's saying is that if you believe in God, mortality is no longer the driving principle of your life. I mean, that's really the driving principle of a lot of people's lives, their own lifespan. Right? I am going to die one day. What do I want to accomplish between now and then? That's why people have a bucket list. If you have a bucket list, it means that the driving principle in your life is your own mortality. And Jesus comes to say that, no, the driving principle in our lives is not our own mortality. It's glorifying God. If that means dying... And even beginning to rot, so be it. Because we know that when we walk in that way with God, though we die, yet shall we live. Mortality is not any sort of uh, final statement in our lives. So this is the big final sign before Jesus himself gives up his life and is, is raised back to life. Um, And it says so much about um, the way he came to show us the Father. The Father was willing to part with the Son and to leave him in the ground so that people would would be able to come back to him. So right after this, um, in chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for him there. How do you give it? How do you, what kind of party do you do for the guy that raised you back to life? Uh, so Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. What a, what, a, what a dinner. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I wonder if that was the same spices that they were going to use to cover up Lazarus' stench. Right. Um, there's no need for it anymore. Let's pour it out at Jesus's feet. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Um, John doesn't mention it, but I believe Judas sold Jesus out for less money than that. What's that? Well, it's 30 pieces of silver. That's what the other, the other gospels say. I don't know. you know, Denarii is a day's wages. 30 pieces of silver. I'm not sure how they compare. Suffice it to say that Judas was not interested in this. John makes that clear. Judas was not interested in feeding the poor. He was interested in... He was greedy. He was interested in helping himself uh, to the money. Verse 6 is very clear. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Uh, he ends up. This guy who gets righteously angry about this extravagant waste of money ends up selling out Jesus. Right? Talk about an extravagant waste of the greatest treasure that there ever was. Um, so. He, he enters into uh, Jerusalem. Now let's go to verse uh, 12. The next day, a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And this is a statement about the humility of Jesus. All right, this is not... That, that uh, verse, that prophecy, is saying that he's not com- the king is, does not belong on a donkey. The king belongs on the most glorious war horse that you have available. And here comes Jesus, and he grabs a donkey, and he sits on it, and he's riding in. His disciples don't understand these things. But as soon as... It says, when, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And then we begin to just conclude this whole section. Um, where Jesus is saying, listen, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the, the whole uh, heart of what this book of signs is pointing to in my life. Um, Verse 20, now those among who went up to worship to the feast were some Greeks. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So this is what it all comes down to. There are two, there are two worlds in John. There is above, there is eternity, eternal life, and there is the world here. Mortality, uh, corruption, sin. And Jesus is saying, if you you love your life in this system, in the world, you're going to lose eternal life. But if you hate your life here, if you part with it, if you don't live to your own mortality, you're going to find a much greater life. 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, what shall I say? If you were here, I wouldn't have to die? (laughs) If you were here, you could keep me alive? No. Because I know how we we do this. This This is what I'm here for. I'm here to die. I'm here to lay down my life. Why would I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? If you were to deliver me from this hour, the whole purpose for coming would be for naught you see that? Jesus let Lazarus die. Jesus drank the cup that the Father gave him. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Um, Verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done, and this becomes sort of a summary to the book of signs. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, this is Isaiah 53, which is one of the great messianic chapters in the Old Testament. But it's also where we get the full picture of Jesus as the suffering servant. Right? We you know 53, he had no form or comeliness that we should look on him. He was so marred, he was smitten and afflicted. Who would believe that that's what God was like? That that's what God would do if he became a man? Who would believe that? They could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, there's that sight thing again, and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So here's the thing, there are these two worlds. You can live, be born from above, and live a life, live an eternal life, or you can live according to this world. But the thing is, while you're still alive in this world, what that eternal life looks like is death. You're a fish out of water. It looks totally different from what we see a full life being, from what the world calls a full life. If you glorify God, if you're full of the glory of the Lord, what that looks like in the world is death is being on a cross, is laying down your life. That's what the glory of God looks like in this world. If you are looking for the glory of God somewhere other than the cross, somewhere other than the the self-sacrificial love that God has, then it's not real glory. What is it? Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that it would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If you want to receive glory here on earth from God, what it means is that you have to lay down your life. Jesus says, If you're my servants, you're going to end up where I am. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you deeply. And I don't like what the world does to the people who who live and lay down their lives. I don't like what gets done to them. I weep. But it glorifies my Father. And I am able to raise back to life those who for the glory of God lay down their lives. So that's something that John really points us to very clearly. The fact that to glorify God in the world is it means to lay down your life. And it looks like death For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Uh, We go right from there into uh, chapter 13, where Jesus gets down, he washes his disciples' feet. And then what does he say after that? He says, if I have done this for you, if I, your Lord and Master, do this for you, this is what you should do for each other. So here's the thought I have, and this is, this is short. We'll, we'll be done early here. Here's the question, and it's very simple. Do you try and preserve your life? Or do you recognize that for God to love, you know, God loves deeply. He loves you. He loves the people around you. Sometimes for God to love the people around you, he has to ask you to lay down your life. You ever think about that? God loves me so deeply. And he also loves the person sitting next to you so deeply. You know, he loves them so much that he's willing to ask you to do something, to sacrifice yourself in some way so that they could experience his love. Now, you can't you can't do that unless you've really experienced the love of God in that way for yourself. But once you have, once your feet have been washed by Jesus, he says, all right, now go do it for each other. So God loves you deeply. And also, God will leave you in the tomb for a little longer than you might think is comfortable. He might allow you to die, ask you to to give your life up, Beyond what you think is, whoa, this, this, is, no, this, is, this is real death. I'm going to have to really sacrifice something. God will allow that because of his love for the people around you. The father parts with his own son to love the world. Jesus parts with his own sends them to their death so that the world would be loved. Are we any greater than our master? This is the life that God has called us to. So we really don't know, we really don't know how to love. We like to love up until the point that it actually costs us. And then we start to say that, well, God, can't you... You know, if you're here, can't you you keep me alive? If you were here, I, I won't die. Where are you? Where are you in all this? Well, he might be staying put for two days so that you can actually go ahead and die all the way so that he can come and raise you back to life. There cannot be any resurrection power unless there's an actual death. And Jesus will let you die because that's the only way the world is going to see his resurrection power. If we live a life that is is preserved and loved and hashtag blessed all the time, the world is never going to experience the resurrection power. But when we lay down our lives, when we sacrifice ourselves, when we stay in that tomb for four days and we smell bad, Then Jesus can come, and he can say, thank you, Father. They're really going to see who you are now. (laughs) But the question that that the Father asks us is the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus... (laughs) will let you die because it's just it's just physical death so that real life can come forth Jesus goes on and he says unless you actually die you're just going to abide alone you're just going to be this little seed that's all to itself but if you if you die if you allow yourself to be go into the ground (laughs) And stay in the ground, you know, you can't just put a seed in the ground and go, where's the tree? It's got to stay in the ground. It's got to stay in the tomb for four days until it begins to decompose. Oh, and then there's life. And then it springs up. So sometimes we want Jesus to be here so we wouldn't have to die. Get here quicker. And sometimes Jesus says, no, you have to stay You have to start to decompose before life can actually, resurrection life, can actually come forth. So think about your life. Um, This is very, this applies to each of us in in a different way. Who are the people that God wants you to love? If you're married, that's an easy question. If you have kids, that's an easy question. How is it that you love them? Do you let God give you away to them in a way that seems like death? Really? I mean, do you love them up to the point where it costs you and then, and then it becomes self-preservation? Then it becomes calling on God to preserve your life? Or do you allow yourself to be fully given away? When Jesus stays put for two days, do you recognize what he's doing? Do you know that he is allowing you to actually go into the ground and die? Or do you get impatient and you just got to, this isn't how it's supposed to be. In the way that you love your spouse, in the way that you love your children, in the way that you love uh, your friends, Uh, this is is something that's at the very heart of, of what John is trying to show us, what love is. Jesus came to define love for us. And he said, no one has a greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus did it himself. He told his disciples to do it. And this is who we are if we live in him. Yeah? So that's it. That's not a point that needs to have many other things heaped on top of it. That's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy word that God will send you to die. That's a word that we don't really want to hear and and that usually you don't hear in church. And when we talk about, when we say, well, no, I believe that God is love, yeah. Did he love Jesus? Yes. Did he love Lazarus? Yes. That doesn't mean that he doesn't allow us and even require of us a deep act of self-sacrifice. In a way that seems like death to us. But man, once we do that, once we lose our lives in this world, we actually find out what, what life is really like. And we experience resurrection power. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I know that there are hearts in this room that, that believe this, and I thank you for them. Lord, I know there are hearts in this room that want to believe that, but need help. Just like Thomas, who are willing, who see where you're headed, who want to do it, and who say, I believe, but on the end of it, we have to tack on that phrase, but but help my unbelief. And Lord, I want to lift up and come, come into prayer along with those hearts. Lord, who see it, who see what you're calling them to but who, for for whatever reason, whether it's whether it's a stubbornness, whether it's a, a fear, an insecurity, uh, Lord, who for whatever reason can't seem to just stay there in the ground, so that so that the uh, the decomposition can set in, and so that the actual life can begin to come forth. Lord, those of us in here who who get to that point of of cost, who see the cost, who who get to the the brink but can't fully uh, go into the ground. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes. I pray that we would not see it as death, but that we would see it as a means to life, the true life. Lord, we don't want to preserve ourselves. We want to abandon ourselves. Uh, We want to let you send us and give us and pour us out for the people that you've called us to love. Uh, Lord, help our unbelief. And Jesus, we thank you that uh, you yourself did not just sit back and require this of us, but that you actually enacted it, Lord. That you went into the ground that you stayed in the tomb and that you trusted the Father enough uh, to allow him to give, uh, to give your life away, knowing that he was able to raise it up. And so, Father, we believe uh, in the power of the resurrection. Jesus, we believe that the, the true way to glorify the Father is to follow in your footsteps, to lay down our lives for our friends. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to search our hearts and to get rid of whatever it is in us that that shrinks back from that. Whatever unbelief it is in us that shrinks back from that, Lord, help us. Bring us to that place. In Jesus' name, amen.